Lord God, we, we believe that you want to speak to each and every one of us. No one gets left out. And so, would you help us to be really tuned into your voice this morning, Lord, to be ready, to open, ready and open to hear what you want us to hear. Amen. Okay, so to start us off this morning, I'm going to show you some pictures on the screen. And I wonder if you can work out what these pictures have in common. Now, I'm not going to leave you guessing for too long. It might not be quite fair for those of you who don't know me very well. Um, but basically, these pictures are all of things I do not like. So I don't like mushrooms. Sorry to those of you. Oh, Vicky's very upset about that. Um, <laughs> don't like mushrooms. Very sorry. Um, I don't like being late. I very much don't like being late. I also do not like being cold. Um, I'm very bad at being cold. Um, I don't like when lorries overtake lorries on the motorway. Does that annoy you? Yes, yes. Um, and this one might be a bit weird, but I have a problem with uncontrollably loud sneezing. So those are just a few of the things that I don't like. <laughs> I wonder if you were to make a slide of things you don't like, what would be on it? <laughs> well, over the past week, I've obviously spent quite a lot of time in these two passages that we just heard Pam read. And something that really stood out to me as I kind of read them is that they are filled with things that God does not like or filled with things that just don't please God. Now, just to clarify on that, um, God loves all people, but it's just their behavior that sometimes he does not like. And the reason that he doesn't like the things that we've heard this morning in these passages is because he wants the very, very best for his people at all times. And the things that we heard there are not the best for his people. So I want to start by thinking about our Ezekiel passage. Now, if you missed um, either of the first two sermons on Ezekiel, just a tiny little bit of background for you. So Ezekiel wrote this book after he was taken into exile when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem. So this means he was taken away from his home and he was forced to live in Babylon along with some of the other Israelites. And while in Babylon, Ezekiel became a prophet, which means that he's someone that spoke the word of the Lord. He spoke on behalf of God. And to be honest, he had a pretty hard job. He had to speak words of condemnation and judgment of God on his people because of their disobedience um, to him. Um, but he does also get to prophesy about hope and restoration. So there is some balance there. He gets to say some good stuff. But it's kind of in the midst of all of that that we get this passage that we heard this morning. And in it, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy against the people. In other words, tell them, I don't like these things that they're doing. And honestly, as we heard, the list is long. So I'm going to go through a few of these things, a few of these problems that we find in this passage that God doesn't like. And as I go through it, though, I just want to encourage us all, myself included, to think, you know, can I see myself in any of this? It's quite easy to think about these people and sort of be a bit judgmental, but can I see myself in this at all? So here's a few of them. Okay, they're prophesying out of their own imagination. They're trying to pass their own hopes and desires and wisdom as words from God. They follow their own spirit, so not God's spirit. God calls this foolish behavior. It's foolish because they regarded what came from their own heart to be more important than what God actually wanted to say. <clears throat> Their visions were false and their divinations, which is basically um, their attempt to tell the future, were a lie. 
they are leading God's people astray. And like I just said, God wants the very, very best for his people. He wants them to go in the right direction. He does not want them to be led astray. And they shared a message of peace when there was no peace. Like in the passage, God's like, I didn't say there was going to be peace. There's not going to be peace. Actually, the message he wanted them to share was a message of judgment is coming. And they needed to hear that message because they needed to be prepared for what was about to come. But instead, they shared the message that people wanted to hear, not the message that they actually needed to hear. And then there were the women. People actually thought of women quite highly when it came to prophecy at the time. The nation knew of the prophetic ministry of women like Miriam, um, people like Deborah and others. And um, these were great prophets, but these women that we've heard about in the passage this morning, they spoke out of their own heart too. They were not words from God. We're told this that they did this to ensnare the lives of God's people. Clearly, that's not what he wants. They were taking payment in exchange for false prophecies. And it says they profaned God, which basically just means they totally disrespected God. So those are the types of problems that our Ezekiel passage is addressing. So let's move on to the Matthew passage, though. There's more problems here. Um, So in this passage, we meet the Pharisees. Um, You probably have heard of the Pharisees before, um, but the Pharisees were Jewish leaders, and they really wanted to live by the rules of the Bible, um, which for them at the time was the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible that we have today. And God's law was set out in it, and they had memorized it. like They really wanted to stick to it. But in addition, because they were such a stickler for the rules, um, and they were terrified of breaking them, they added a load of other rules to what God had already kind of laid out for them, so that they wouldn't break God's law. But as we see here today, Jesus strongly criticizes the ways of the Pharisees. The word used here multiple times is woe. Woe to you, Pharisees. And a woe was really a funeral lament. Um, It was kind of used for mourning the dead. And it kind of has that woeful sound, woe to you, Pharisees. And I believe that Jesus is saying it here with like a real sadness, um, just about the way that the Pharisees were choosing to behave. Um, As one website that I found put it, they majored on minors and minored on majors. And John told me that was really cheesy. Um, But... It's just got it for me, like nail on the head. They focused on really small, unimportant details, but they completely missed the things that were so important to God. So some of the stuff that our passage told us this morning, they were meticulous tithers. So they would tithe 10% of their crops right down to the tiniest, tiniest little herb, which was probably unnecessary, to be honest. It was not wrong. It kind of showed their dedication to the law. Um, But their emphasis was just on, like, I can't possibly break a rule. But they totally neglected the crucial stuff, the stuff that's on God's heart, stuff like justice for his people, like mercy, like faithfulness. They didn't have any of that. It said they were like a cup that is clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of picking up a cup from the cupboard, and it looks nice and shiny and clean on the outside. When you go to make a cup of tea, you actually see that it's really dirty on the inside, and you're like, no, thank you, that looks disgusting. I've definitely done that. Um, And it's frustrating, because you can't use it for its its intended purpose. It needed cleaning um, before you could actually use it. Now, the Pharisees did whatever it took to look great on the outside, to look righteous and brilliant on the outside to other people. But on the inside, they were full of corruption and greed and just neglect for God. 
And then finally, it says they were like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Um, in Israel, they used to paint tombs with whitewash just to make them really obvious so that people wouldn't brush up against them because in the law, it was not okay to do that. It would make you unclean. Um, and this whitewash would make them look attractive. Now, this one, you can see the decay underneath. Maybe it doesn't look so attractive. But the idea is it would make them look attractive as well. And Jesus is saying here, these Pharisees, they do everything to look right and righteous on the outside, but on the inside, they're spiritually dead. It's a really similar analogy to the one that was used in the Ezekiel passage. Um, it also talks a lot about whitewash there. And here, the, in Ezekiel, the people had built flimsy walls. So they'd used really cheap materials, they'd done it quickly, used stuff that was easy to put up, but was totally useless in doing its job of protecting the place. And so to cover up the inadequacy of their job, they'd cover it with whitewash, make it look really attractive. But God warns them, this wall is going to fall and the sense here is that false prophecy, false prophets, they say all of the right stuff. It even looks attractive to us from the outside, but underneath there's no depth, there's no substance, and there's nothing of what God really cares about. So what does all of this mean for us? Are false prophets even a thing? In 2022, what do the Pharisees have to do with our lives? Well, one quote that I read about the Ezekiel passage said, these prophets, whether in good faith but self-deluded, or in bad faith and deliberately deceiving, have professed to speak the mind of the Lord, when in reality no spirit other than their own moved them. And I think it's probably clear for us in 2022 that there are some who in bad faith actually will deliberately try and push us away from God. Um, there's probably also some who in good faith will, um, will provide an attractive message to us um, or a concept or some teaching, but that also isn't true and will lead us away from God. So of course, there are false prophets, there are cults, um, there are people who preach um, attractive or incorrect messages, things like the prosperity gospel, those who deny the existence of eternity, teachers who claim that all gods lead, um, sorry, all religions lead to God. Those are all very real. And we live in an age of tolerance where absolute truth is rejected. So saying that Jesus is the only way to salvation in some places is a really controversial thing to do. We live in a generation where um, more than any others maybe, more than any other generation before, people just want to kind of accept everyone's truth and anything goes. Alongside all of this, the world throws um, some really attractive concepts at us sometimes. So, for example, at the moment, I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm seeing a lot on social media um, from people who've got really big followings of this thing called manifesting. So, manifesting, if you don't know, if you haven't seen it, is the practice of thinking aspirational thoughts with the purpose of seeing it become real. So, in other words, if you think enough about your dream house or your dream family, your dream holiday, whatever it might be, your dream job, if you think enough about it, you put it out into the universe, then it will become a reality. And I'm seeing this loads all over social media. And on TikTok, um, we see young people sharing stories um, about scripting, where if they write down a wish enough times, it will become a reality. And while concepts like that, they're actually quite attractive um, prospects in some ways, they're just not in line with the Bible, which teaches that life in all its fullness is found in Jesus Christ. 
um, and that we don't need the material things of this world to be happy. We just need him. And then on top of all of that, what about us personally? And I say this section with real grace, like we, we know and love a really gracious God who knows we're just human beings and we get stuff wrong. But even with the best of intentions, um, we ourselves will prophesy and hear from God incorrectly. So maybe we'll choose to hear what we want him to say rather than what he actually is saying. Like when we want him to say yes, but he's actually saying no. Or like when we want to hold a grudge, but he's actually saying it's time to forgive now. Or like when we want him to say, I'm going to send you to Florida as a missionary. And he says, actually, I want you to stay right here in Teesside and love these people here with everything that you've got. And like the Pharisees, what about the times when we add our own legalistic rules to actually what God's laid out for us, quite simply? Um, I know that I'm definitely um, one of the people that does that. Maybe we find ourselves thinking, I really should be praying more, like God would be happier with me if I was praying more, or I feel really guilty because I missed my Bible reading today, or I should have been at church more. And actually, all of these things come from a place of I can never do enough to actually please God, to actually make him happy with me. And actually, he's not a God who wants us to do things to please him. He's already pleased with you. He already loves you. And maybe, as well, we've fallen into the trap of saying all of the right things to look like a good Christian, to look like we've kind of got it sorted. Um, But deep down, we know we're not in a great place with God. I think loads of us do that. Um, As I was thinking about this during the week, I felt like God reminded me of a song Um, I felt like it was him because I haven't heard this song for forever and I haven't thought about it forever. It seemed quite of a random thing just to come into my head. Um, And it's called Stained Glass Masquerade. don't know if you know it, but I'm going to just play a little bit of it for you now. If you'd like to, Thomas, that'd be great. Thank you. Is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? When I take a look around Everybody seems so strong I know they'll soon discover That I don't belong So I tuck it all away Like everything's okay If I make them all believe it Maybe I will leave it too So with a pain and grin I play the part about this guy who finds himself in church, but he's really discouraged by that because um, all these people around him in church are putting on their really well-rehearsed act of looking like they've got everything sorted, like they're a great Christian. And because of this, he actually feels small, like he's the only one that fails, that he's the only one that doesn't have it all together in the way they all appear to. 
And I think the challenge of it all for us is, is authenticity, to be authentic and real with each other, and to be real about where we're actually at in our faith and honest, and to be a people, to be a family who will support and lift each other up and encourage each other in that authenticity, and to come to God with like the realness um, of where we're at and also the messiness of where we're at. Like That's what he longs for from us. In Ezekiel 13, verse 2, God says to Ezekiel, Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, Hear the word of the Lord. Not hear the word of anything else, but hear the word of the Lord. In the message version, it says, Preach to them the real thing. God says, stop listening to any false message, whether that's from an external source, whether that comes from within your own heart, and start paying attention to me. So how do we do that? Like, how do we discern his voice in the midst of all of the stuff the world is going to throw, throw at us? False prophecies and teachings and concepts, all of this. How do we start paying close attention to him? Well, firstly, and potentially predictably, um, it's all about relationship. So in Ezekiel, the message of the false prophets was not based on relationship with him. And Jesus was so upset about the Pharisees because he wanted them to have relationship with God, to not just be kind of fulfilling this list of religious obligations. And um, as I prepared this week, I just had this little phrase that kept coming to my mind, which may seem a little random, but it was location, location, location. And um, it was this phrase that was coined like many years ago um, about what's really important in property. And of course, all three are the same thing. Um, And I felt like God was saying to us, what is most important is relationship, relationship, relationship. He wants us to be his friend. Like He wants that real closeness with us. He wants us to really know him. He wants us to talk to him, and he wants to talk back to us. He's the only God of any religion that wants a personal relationship with his people. He wants to guide us. He wants to comfort us. He wants us to go to him in the highs of life, but also with our struggles When we get to know God in that way, it really changes everything for us. How can we do that? Simply by spending time with him. Just like any other friendship, the more time that you spend together, the deeper the friendship. I always remember my mum saying, I'm going out for coffee with Jesus. And um, that might seem a little bit random to some people, but, um, you know, she thought, well, I go out for coffee with my friends, so why not go to a coffee shop and just spend some time with Jesus? Invite him into your everyday, ordinary life. Talk to him while you're driving, while you're out on a walk. Um, Meet with him through music, through poetry, through concerts or gigs, or um, through the people that you talk to, through your workplace. Set aside time to be with him in your day. Set aside time in your diary. Get yourself to church, get yourself to conferences or camps, whatever it takes to encourage you to spend time with Jesus and to build that relationship just to be with him. Author Henry Blackaby said, the more you know God, the more clearly you can hear God. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this image this week. Um, This is a tree that my parents are giving me and John. Um, from their garden, and let's just say I'm not a gardener, so I don't have a clue. So what I would really like to happen is that we just dig a hole and we plonk this tree in the hole immediately. But I gather that's probably not the right thing to do, and John, who's much better at this sort of thing than I am, 
is taking his time to prepare the ground. Um, so he's dug out a lot of old stuff from it. Um, he's kind of dug over the soil and he's added new composty stuff, whatever that is, um, <laughs> with the right nutrients for this tree. Um, and we're not allowed to do it straight away because it has to be done at the right time. When it comes to discerning the voice of God, we need to prepare the ground. One of the ways that we do that is just by building this friendship with him, like I just talked about. Um, but another way is to spend time in the word, in his word, which is the Bible. Mike Pilavachi from Soul Survivor says, if you want to hear God's word outside of the Bible, or outside of the book, as he puts it, you've got to spend time in the book. If you want to hear God's voice outside of the book, you've got to spend time in the book. And the thing about the Bible is, it's actually one of the key ways that God speaks to us anyway. So if you want to hear him speak, it's a great place to start. But it's also his story. So when we read it, we learn what God's like. We learn how he deals with different circumstances. We learn how he speaks to people. We learn of his character, like he reveals himself to us through it. We, we get so much closer to him and we learn so much more of who he is when we spend time in that book. And then what happens is when a prophecy or a teaching or a concept comes your way in life and you're wondering like, actually, is this from God or is it not? You can think, well, does this sound like the God of the Bible who I have been reading about? Does this sound like my friend who I've just been spending time with? Does it sound like his words? Does it sound like something he would say? Or is there something a little bit off about it? And when we spend time in his word, we'll then be able to kind of, um, I guess, like test prophecies through the ABC filter. So A, is it affirming? Like, does it fit with the 1 Corinthians 14 criteria? Is it strengthening, encouraging, and comforting? B, is it biblical? Like, does it align with the words of the Bible? How will we know that if we're not in it? If it's not biblical, if it doesn't align with the words of the Bible, it's not from God. And C, is it Christ-like? The whole Bible, Old Testament and New, reveals Jesus to us, shows us who he is, teaches us what he's like, and it will help us hugely with discerning God's voice because we'll know him more. And then the final thing that I just want to leave you with this morning um, is don't feel like you're on your own. You're really not on your own with this. In the Bible, um, Samuel learned to hear the voice of God with the help of his spiritual father, Eli. It wasn't enough for him to hear the audible voice of God. Some of us may feel like we've heard the audible voice of God, but I, I think that a lot of Christians maybe haven't. That's maybe not how he has spoken. Um, but Samuel, he heard the audible voice of God, but still needed a human to help him um, with this and to give him wisdom and advice. We all need someone like that in our life, someone that we can go to and share, like, I think God's saying this, but I'm not totally sure. Like, please, could you help me to work it out? Lots of years ago, um, I went to New Wine, and I was just praying in my tent, and I really strongly felt like God was saying, start a young adults group at All Saints. So I was quite excited about it, and I went back home after New Wine, and I asked for a meeting with John Lambert, our vicar at the time, and I was like, John, I really feel like God's calling me to lead this young adults group. And um, I thought he would just be like super excited about that, um, but actually his response was, well, how did he say that? Like, what did that look like? How did he actually call you? to do that. And I suppose I was a little bit surprised to be questioned like, about that, but now, lots of years further down the line, I know that that was 100% the right thing to do. And he was being like an Eli 
um, for me at that point. He was trying to help me to discern the voice of God, and he was probably trying to discern it himself too. Like, was this actually from God, or was this from Catherine? And is this the right thing for All Saints Church at the minute? Is it something that's in line with the Bible and is going to lead people to Jesus? More recently, I've started to meet with Rachel Levinson, and she is someone who just helps me to get closer to Jesus and helps me to discern the voice of him in my life. This person does not have to be like an older person than you. It could just be someone that you really respect and who inspires you with their faith and has real wisdom. So my question is, who is your person? Who is a trusted and wise person you could be meeting with regularly that will help you to discern the voice of God in your life? God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us great people in our lives that we get to do this alongside. And so as I kind of draw this to a close, um, let's just take a moment to consider why all of this is actually important. Um, This is an amazing book, which I've been reading over the summer. Um, And if you want to know more about hearing God and discerning his voice and knowing the truth, I would highly recommend that book to you. And this is a little quote from it. This is what Pete Gregg says. With just four words, let there be light, God created more than 100 billion galaxies. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. What on earth might happen if he were to speak a few words to me? The reality for us is that whilst we might love God to speak to us in dramatic fashion, what often happens is that he speaks to us in a whisper, another might pull of Achaism. God shouts at his enemies, but he whispers to his friends because you have to get close to him for that. And therefore, to discern whether it's really him, we need to be in relationship with him. We need to spend time with him, to love him, to be his friend. We need to know him and understand him through his word. And we need to have those others. We need to invite them in, into our lives, um, so that they can help us with all of this as well. So we're just going to take a moment to respond to that now.